Welcome to the weekly. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the Mike Tyson Hulu miniseries uh, trailer drop. This is how recent we're doing this. Like Jay-Z, I did it yesterday. Um, <laughs> um, so the actor, Travante Rhodes, I was on his Instagram page and there was this amazing quote. So that's where I'm going to start and then we're going to get into it. Bam. Let's go. Water, not disturbed by waves, settles down of itself. A mirror, not covered with dust, is clear and bright. The mind should be like this. When what beclouds it passes away, its brightness appears. Happiness must not be sought for. When what disturbs passes away, happiness comes of itself. Welcome back to the weekly. I thought I'd start there this week. <laughs> Happiness like water. Um, good to have you back. It's good to be back. I'm glad I made it back to the seat. Consistency builds great things. I promise you. So this is episode 31. Um, I'm not going to look at analytics until we really get into this. You know, until I've really made an effort, I'm sure it's ticking over whatever the number, whatever the low number is. Look, at the end of the day, we do it for the passion. That's why um, I think a lot of people should know that as well. You'll never beat a person that does it for the love. I think like being from the Steve Jobs cult or the Apple cult, commercial turns to or rather creative turns to commercial you know if you make something good enough if you know you translate something well enough if you build a product well enough you know the people will find it i think like this is the time in our lives where creativity is going to be the answer it has to be the answer and i think creativity extends across different things you know uh, different categories, different professions, um, different religions, you know, creeds, etc. But I think if you're looking for what's going to save you or even save the world, because I think we've come to a place where we know, let's just look at climate, for example, we're almost at that point where we've gone too far and we can't turn back. And I think the people who, who are going to suffer the most are people who don't find creative ways, you know, to live in this new world, to be valuable, to create value, you know, avoiding volatility. Um, but, yeah, that aside, it's just good to be back uh, this week, um, an interesting week, I think. Uh, I'm going to be speaking about or playing you audio from something about free-range kids. <laughs> so I've extended, you know, sort of the source where we source audio from. So YouTube, what I'm watching, I've been watching Obi-Wan. I watched something else that I'm going to share. Can't remember now. Um, England's new strangulation law. That's from The Guardian this week. Listen to different things, but that's the one that stuck out. 
um, Tim Ferriss um, did an episode like only Tim Ferriss could do where he got really smart people to share, you know, and that have podcasts to share sort of their best from their podcast in, let's say, recent months. Sam Harris um, shares, you know, um, the Waking Up app, um, the meditation app. You can use it for free if you can't afford it or you can just buy it from the store. All you need to do if you want to use it for free is you go to their website and you email them and they send you logins, which is amazing because he felt like, I'm not going to charge people for wellness, you know, but if you allow us to learn from each other as in, let's say, you know, now with privacy, Apple's new thing, <laughs> um, you know, privacy laws, your phone, you know, there's that setting where it asks you if you want to allow the app to track and, you know, that's definitely an app I'd allow to track just because of that exchange. If anything, if it can make somebody else's life better, you know, through learnings from me. Um, I actually did it in a past relationship. I, I thought that was probably the best, an example like of some of our best times, you know, meditating together um, or trying at least to meditate together. You know, meditation being based in noticing your thoughts and seeing, you know, that you're just a vessel as well, you know. Um, but it's like a journey. At the beginning, I was just like, what is this mumbo jumbo? And then the more you hear the words and the more you try, you know, it starts to mean different things to you. And, you know, noticing thoughts is definitely something uh, that's a characterization of all of our lives. And just knowing that some of them are unnecessary and some of them are ridiculous. Um, so... A good weekly. I think there's there are more things I'm forgetting, which is crazy because, excuse me, sir, please prepare next time. <laughs> um, but as always, the point here is just to share from an honest place things that I've noticed, seen, listened to, and hopefully, you know, it can spark something in your mind. I think like the podcast world is full of so much amazing stuff. And... I use it weekly and it keeps me going. And I've always felt like, you know, this now applies to listening and audio, but the more I read, the less alone I feel. I don't know who said that. I've obviously stolen that from you. <laughs> um, if you know it, let me know. But yeah, let's get into it. This is the weekly. If you're a victim, it's terror, absolute terror. And it can happen at any time and without any warning. Yvonne Roberts has been reporting on domestic violence for decades. This year, she's been leading the Observer's campaign to end femicide, the intentional killing of a woman by a man because of her gender. After stabbing, the most common way that happens is by strangulation external pressure to the neck that cuts off air or the flow of blood to the brain. What I found really surprising is how little pressure you need to use to exercise on the neck for a woman or, or a man, whoever's strangled, to lose consciousness. 
it's just marginally more than it takes to open a can of Coke, for example. And I don't think Gosh. people understand how dangerous that is. Strangulation is about demonstrating control. In her reporting, Yvonne has come across hundreds of stories of men who have strangled women not to kill them, but to show that they could if they chose to. There's one piece of research in which a woman uh, has a relationship, gets engaged, gets married, perfectly normal, no sign of violence, and then on her honeymoon, there's an argument, her husband goes and gets a towel from the bathroom and strangles her to the point that she loses consciousness. For the remainder of the several years that she was in that relationship, the towel became symbolic of what could happen to her. What the perpetrator wants is for the victim to be completely and utterly attuned to his every desire and need and his, his various moods so that life is dictated by how he's feeling, nothing else. An estimated 20,000 cases of non-sexual... So that's from The Guardian, and like I said, it's titled England's New Strangulation Law. Sorry, I'm moving around here on this mic. Just to sit still. Um, why I'm mentioning the story this week, um, you're hearing in there the definition of femicide. I think with South Africa and the statistics around gender-based violence, it's interesting to see what the rest of the world is doing, you know, to combat, you know, the silent sort of pandemic, let's call it. You know, I used to, I was thinking during the pandemic, um, listening to podcasts, but obviously I think, you know, people find their news in different places. I think it was a podcast by The, Gu the Guardian, and it was just speaking to, you know, during the time when we were all um, under lockdown and couldn't leave home. Remember there was that like two month period, was it two months, maybe like six weeks, seven weeks. You know, the story I listened to while I was sitting at home, just about what people can do, what, what people who are going through gender-based violence in their homes or domestic violence, you know, how they were resorting to um, getting help during that time. Imagine how hard that is. You know, that was one of the hardest times and I was spending it with somebody, you know, very close to me and it still felt hard. It still felt like, where do we place ourselves in the world? Where are we going to get money from, et cetera, et cetera? What's going to happen to work? And on top of that, you have to deal. Unbelievable, you know? So obviously there were stories there just about different ways, you know, women could signal that they were okay. What? insane you know households with children um I think that's the scariest thing because you feel so powerless i think from the point of view of a child what do you do um when when the parents are going at it um or rather when one one of the parents is suffering from some sort of ailment let's call it you know and is inflicting like pain on the rest of us um yeah, it's just interesting. So listen to that story. There's a story she tells about, you know, that sort of the, the day it all ended, you know, for her at least and for her family. It's a tough story, but I think a good one to listen to because I think, hey, work is always calling. I think 
we should always know the reality of the world we live in and uh, the harsh realities and maybe even be able to notice things out there. She tells a story about the first time the police come and they just had an argument, so she opens the door. She said she was so scared. She couldn't, she's like, you don't just get to the door and be like, there he is right there, take him. And and she mentioned an important point about how the police didn't separate them. Imagine you're a scared victim and now you have to speak against your perpetrator. And I think it's such a smart way, you know, most times to get stuff right, you know, you have to kind of get it done legally. And, you know, just that there's a there's precedent somewhere in the world for making it easier to catch, you know, these people because usually they'll go off with just like an assault charge, a, mi- a minimal one. Nothing that sort of gives you too much time in jail. Um, the, the thing about this new strangulation on the UK, you get a minimum of five years, you know. Um, yeah, that's all I have there. Interesting. Listen to it from The Guardian. It's titled England's New Strangulation Laws from this week. Bam. You know how mental illness relates to mass shootings specifically in terms of cause and effect and scale? Yeah. I mean, so this is a tricky question. We get into semantics a little bit here because you know, it's hard to stand by an argument that people who make posts like this or that anybody who goes into a school and opens fire on students is some paragon of psychological well-being. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everybody would agree that these people are not mentally well per se. But that is really different than actually having a specific mental illness right. like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or major depressive disorder. A lot of the characters of these mass shooters are similar. And that's not to say that none of them have mental illness because some have, but a lot of them are just really angry, resentful, bitter young men who Hmm. have similar histories of social isolation. They've been bullied. They've harbored revenge fantasies. They have an entitlement towards social standing, towards attention from women. They feel like they're not getting the popularity, the attention, the recognition. That they deserve that they deserve. So there's this idea that they're better than everybody thinks they are and they kind of want to show the world that. So how would the treatment of someone like that differ from the kind of treatment they would need if they were determined to be mentally ill? It seems like in either case, some kind of treatment is needed. So what's the difference? Well, one of the big differences, you know, we do have medications for things like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. We don't have medications for things like resentment, hatred, Hmm. anger at the world. We can't fix that so well. So there's no way to like admit somebody like that to a psychiatric hospital, treat them over the course of the two weeks that we might be able to have them and then completely change the personality that they've spent their whole life building up. And it sounds like this young man who's standing in front of you fits that profile. So that's from the New York Times Daily, um, the podcast episode, or rather, I always look at like a story. The story is titled, Most Violence is Not Caused by Mental Illness. And I think that's been a fixture of, I guess, the past two weeks. And just looking at American 
news and American media, let's call it, and how they've been reporting around a madman, this crazy person. And, I, and, you know, that interested me. And once I saw this, I thought, this is definitely something I need, need to listen to, just around, you know, understanding, you know, what it is. You know, is it, a ang- is it just an angry young man? Or is this person actually mentally ill? You know, she goes into explaining the doctor, I forget her name, Michael Barbaro is interviewing. I forget her name. I need to switch off. Okay. <laughs> the doctor is interviewing that he is interviewing rather uh michael is you know just discussing the difference between being committed and being admitted so a doctor can admit you obviously into care but committing you know sort of implies it's against your will or being held against your will you know if you're admitted you can leave when you want Obviously, being committed is, is a little bit different. Um, yeah, so I just thought a very interesting take. And I think especially for parents, you know, part of what I'm going to speak about today is that book I told you about titled Free Range Kids. I'll get the full I'll get the full title for you, actually, just so that you can get it for yourselves. So it's titled Free Range Kids. Giving our children freedom. Or rather, let me start that again. Free range kids, giving our children the freedom we had without gi- without going nuts with worry. By Lenore Skenazy. So this is my new read. Um, free range kids. And just, you know, discussing play as well. But definitely listen to that story by... Michael Barbara and the good people from the New York Times. Very interesting. Um, and just, you know, I have friends now who are becoming parents. Our parents already planning. Um, um, I have older, uh, you know, sort of friends, I'd call them too, who have children who I'm sure are going through different things, you know, trying to understand their kids. But from somebody I trust, this is a good one, so I'm going to read it because it just, in the end, just speaks about play. All right. Up next. How do we begin to fix social media, would you say? Okay. So here's the most important thing to understand. In the social sciences, you know, we say, is social media harmful to kids? That's a broad question. You can't answer that directly. You have to have much more specific questions. You have to operationalize it and have a theory of how it's harming kids. And so almost all of the research is done on what's called the dose-response model. That is, everybody, including the, most of the researchers, are thinking about this like, let's they treat it this like sugar. Um, you know, because the data usually shows a little bit of social media use isn't correlated with harm, but a lot is. So, you know, let's think of it like sugar. And if kids have a lot of sugar, then it's bad. So how much is okay? okay. Um, but social media is not like sugar at all. It's not a dose-response thing. It's a complete rewiring of childhood. So... We evolved as a species in which kids play in mixed age groups. They learn the skills of adulthood. They're always playing and working and learning and doing errands. That's normal childhood. That's how you develop your brain. That's how you become a mature adult until the 1990s. In the 1990s, we dropped all that. We said, it's too dangerous. If we let you outside, you'll be kidnapped. So we completely, we began rewiring childhood in the 90s before social media. And that's a big part of the story. Um, I'm a 
big fan of Lenore Skenazy, who wrote the book Free Range Kids. If there are any parents listening to this, please buy Lenore's book, Free Range Kids, and then go to letgrow.org. It's a, a nonprofit that, that Lenore and I started um, with Peter Gray and, and um, Daniel Shookman to help change the laws and the norms around letting kids out to play. They need free play. So that's the, the big picture. They need free play. Uh, and we started stopping that in the 90s that we reduced it. And then Gen Z, kids born in 1996, they're the first people in history to get on social media before puberty. Um, millennials didn't get it until they were in college. But Gen Z, they get it because you can lie. You just lie about your age. Um, they, so they really begin to get on around 2009, 2010. And boom, two years later, they're depressed. It's not because they ate too much sugar necessarily. It's because even normal social interactions that kids had in the early 2000s, largely, well, they, they decline because now everything's through the phone. And that's what I'm trying to get across, that it's not just a dose-response thing. It's imagine, imagine one middle school where everyone has an Instagram account and it's constant drama. Everyone's constantly checking and posting and worrying. And imagine going through puberty that way versus imagine there was a policy no phones in school. You have to check them in a locker. No one can have an Instagram account. All the parents are on board. Parents only let their kids have Instagram because the kid says everyone else has it. We're, and that's we're stuck in a social dilemma. We're stuck in a trap. So what's the solution? Keep kids off until they're done with puberty. There's a new study actually by Amy Orban and Andy Shabilsky showing that the damage is greatest for girls between 11 and 13. So there is no way to make it safe for preteens or even 13, 14-year-olds. We've got to, kids should simply not be allowed on these business models where you're the product. They should not be allowed on until you're 16. We need to raise the age and enforce it. That's the biggest thing. So I think that's a really powerful solution, but it's a, it makes me wonder if there's other solutions like controlling the virality of bullying sort of if there's a way that's more productive to childhood mm -hmm. to use social media. So of course, one thing is putting your phone down, but first of all, from the perspective of social media companies, it's, it might be difficult to convince them to do so. Uh, <laughs> and also for me as an adult who grew up without social media, it's it, so, social media is a source of joy. So I wonder if it's possible to design the mechanisms, both the, challenge the ad-driven model, but actually just technically the recommender system um, and how viral, how virality works on these platforms. If it's possible to design a platform that leads to growth, anti-fragility, but does not lead mm -hmm. to depression, yeah. uh, self-harm and suicide, that like finding that balance and making that as the objective function, not, not engagement. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, or I don't think else. I don't think that can be done for kids. So I am very reluctant to tell adults what to do. I have a lot of libertarian friends, and I would lose their friendship if I started saying, "Oh, it's bad for adults, and we should stop adults from using it." Yeah. But by the same token, I'm very reluctant to have Facebook and Instagram tell my kids what to do without me even knowing or without me having any ability to control it. Right. Uh, as a parent, it's very hard to stop your kid. Uh, I have stopped my kids from getting on Instagram. Um, and that's caused some difficulties, but um, but um, they also have thanked me because they see that it's stupid. They see that what the kids who are really on it, what they post, they see that the culture of it is is stupid, as they say. So 
Um, I don't think there's a way to make it healthy for kids. I think there's one thing which is healthy for kids, which is free play. We already robbed them of most of it in the 90s. Uh, the more time they spend on their devices, the less they have free play. Uh, video games is a kind of play. I'm not saying that these things are all bad. Um, but, you know, 12 hours of video game play means you don't get any physical play. Um, so, anyway. And ultimately, physical play is the way uh, to, to develop. A bit of a longer clip this time. Um, but I, I had to let Jonathan Hyde get into it. Who is Jonathan David Hyde? He's an American social psychologist, professor of ethical leadership at the New York University Stern School of Business. He's also an author. His main areas of study are the psychology of morality and moral emotions. So he's speaking there just about, and you know, like I said, I was going to mention the book, um, Free Range Kids. This is who I trust. <laughs> um, and I think the point that they're getting to is, is a really great point. I'm actually on letgrow.org. And I'll read you their mission. Um, excuse the horrible reading. Let Grow believes today's kids are smarter and stronger than our culture gives them credit for. We reject the idea that they are in constant physical, emotional, or psychological danger from creeps, Kidnapping, germs, grades, flashes, frustration, failure, baby snatches, bugs, bullies, men, disappointing playdates, and or perils of non-organic grape. Somehow our culture has become obsessed with kids' fragility and lost sight of their innate resilience. This concern grew out of good intentions, of course, but treating kids as fragile makes them so. In fact, kids are anti-fragile, built not just to withstand some challenges, to grow stronger once they do. That's why Let Grow is creating a new path for parents, schools, a path to letting kids have some adventure, solve problems, and make things happen. So he also makes a point further on. It's about a 10-minute clip from the Lex Friedman podcast, so I guess I'm not deviating from podcast too bad. He makes a point about you know, how social media makes you as a grown person feel and how maybe... You know, young children should be only given social media from the point of puberty just because you're able to assess and sort of not blame yourself. You know, me at the tender age of 30 this year, um, I still, you know, you know, feel insecure because of seeing people's lives that are not actually their lives. It's just what they're putting out, you know. So imagine prepubescent, your prepubescent mind and those kinds of emotions. I really feel empathy you know and i think sympathy i think we've been the generation that saw it from the aerial phone all the way until the iphone 13 by the way i have qualms with apple so they're going to change the charging point which means the phone you have now means nothing <laughs> anyway steve jobs probably rolling in his grave listening to this um play i think for me the the further away i get from my phone and actually getting into and also let me be clear your phone is as powerful as you make it it's like one of those rings on on the hands of what's that gentleman in um iron man um uh the rings rings the rings this is horrible glad i have a, a laptop close 
can hear that typing. His name is... So the marble rings that were taken by... What's that gentleman's name? Um, the other night, here's a funny story, actually, while we search for this person's name. Um, the other night, a friend of mine, I'm sending him a message about... Um, what's that guy's name? Chingy. Cause some I was watching some podcasts and somebody confirmed that like Chingy was in fact like <laughs> cool back in the day. Not that I said he wasn't, but a friend of mine was like, Oh, he's he's like top five rappers of all time. I was like, dude, that is the most insane story ever. Long story short, I send him a, the clip of dudes that are legit, like it was game and Matt Barnes and them talking. And he sends me this. He says, You could not live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. That's the dude from uh damn it. Okay. We're almost there actually. Um Avengers Endgame and the dude's name is Thanos. I'm shook. Shooketh. <laughs> So Thanos, basically, um, your phone can be <laughs> all of that just to get to your phone is one of those rings or rather it's the final glove with all the little diamonds on them, you know, all the little stones, whatever the, whatever the storyline is on Iron Man. Um, so, you know, that's how powerful your phone is, but with social media, it, it, it's almost like a, a compromise. Social media has a piece of your mind, and you have some power too. Um, but like I was saying, the further away I get from my phone, usually the better the results are for me. I think um, get away from your phone, I promise you. Get away from your phone and see the difference. Um It's been a pleasure bringing you this story. <laughs> what an edit. At least it's good. At least it's good. <laughs> oh, man. When one first begins to meditate, the practice seems like it requires effort. It doesn't seem like you're doing nothing. You're actually struggling to pay attention to the breath, for instance, or to other sensations in your body, or to sounds, or even to thoughts themselves. And the struggle is to sustain one's mindfulness for any significant amount of time without being lost in thought. And it's true, this apparent struggle continues for quite some time. But once you know how to meditate, you discover that real mindfulness is free of effort. It too simply appears like anything else. The clouds part all on their own. And you just notice the next thing you notice. And you can even try to practice this way from the beginning. And rather than strategically pay attention to an object of meditation, like the breath, you can practice what's often called choiceless awareness, where you just notice whatever you notice, without making an effort to stay focused on any specific object. But this isn't quite doing nothing either. There's still this fluctuation, this feeling of being lost and found, this game of cat and mouse with attention. And there can still be this subtle or not-so-subtle sense of seeking to get somewhere, and the sense that there's a self that is doing the seeking. The only way of truly doing nothing 
is to recognize how consciousness always already is. Open. Unobstructed. Effortlessly aware of its apparent changes. You have to recognize what you would otherwise seek. The very context of any effort you could make to pay attention. You have to turn about and realize that nothing is or can be lost. Think of that woman on the bus, the moment before she realized that she was the object of the search. She's looking for a lost tourist. And think of that next moment when she suddenly realizes that she is the one who has been presumed lost. Now, is it accurate to say that she has now found herself? Was the search ever fulfilled? No. There was a false premise that had been unrecognized. Just think of how the sense of seeking evaporated in her case. The recognition of consciousness reveals that the contents of consciousness are beside the point. And all seeking is an effort to improve or to maintain or to otherwise modify the contents of consciousness. So the freedom that you find in meditation is not a change in experience, really. It's the recognition of the context of experience itself. You simply need to drop back and recognize the condition in which everything is already appearing. Thoughts and intentions and moods and emotions, sensations, perceptions, everything is simply appearing. As a matter of experience, there is no you apart from this flow. So the real way of doing nothing isn't to stop doing anything. It's simply to recognize that everything is already happening on its own. What? That's not even like the, the, that's not even a quarter of what value you get from Sam Harris. Like, yeah. Everything's already happening. You are not in control. And meditating is not necessarily about stopping anything. It's about understanding that everything's already happening. Um, today's been a very cerebral episode, I'll say that. You know, um, again, I recommend the Waking Up app. Go to the website. You can request a free account. Um, you won't, I, I guarantee you will not be disappointed. They start you out with this course of 30 days. And then it's almost like a calendar. And every morning you open it and then it, it records that you've done meditation. Each one is different. Most times they're about 10 to 15 minutes. You know, it requires you to just sit somewhere. What, what's crazy is look how long it takes you to, to get to a point. I guess if you wake up and you have a good routine, you can get into it. But the time I started, felt like finding that 15 minutes of effort, you know, was quite strenuous. But in the end, you know, these lessons... You know, in rooms, when you're on in meetings, when you're in front of people, when if you know, I like to think I'm actually socially anxious, um, but I just deal with it well by making noise. <laughs> um, so yeah, this episode of Tim Ferriss 
great episode with Sam Harris, Dr. Peter Atia. Uh, these are all people that have been on the podcast before. Ramit Seti, hope I'm um, pronouncing that correctly, and Elizabeth Gilbert, right? And each of these people go through things. And, you know, if you know Tim Ferriss, it's really just about um, improving your mind, uh, DIYing your mind, you know, and getting the best results emotionally physically mentally etc um and i think this is a great episode it's been a while since i've listened to tim ferris you know he's interviewed everybody from like in recent times mark zuckerberg who i think is one of the more boring people to i don't know the rock michael jordan's trainer um you know tim ferris speaks for himself once you get into podcast world he is a staple uh, it's a really great episode. Episode, I'll tell you now. Episode 599. Really great episode. I just want to say thank you for taking ownership of it in the way that you did. And so much so that I didn't even know it was happening. Um, it's always good to see that people that you work with and partner with have the capability to make things that are special. And I genuinely believe that this is special. So good on you guys, man, for real, for real. Like, um, that stuff is like really good, like really good. And, um, between you and that, and Ongu, you guys did really well. Um, in the different responsibilities and vulnerabilities that were required. So, um, yeah, congrats. And I'm hoping that it's well-received. But even if it isn't well-received, you know, when I was in varsity, this lecturer of mine said this thing that has stuck with me. The um, girl that was like a class or two ahead of us, she made this project and he gave it to her and he was he just looked at it and then he said to her, how much do you think you should get for this? Obviously, he told us that he thought it was phenomenal, but he didn't tell her. He's like, how much do you think you should get for this? And she just basically said, I don't care what I get for this. I know this is great work. So in the same way, irrespective of what people say or how they respond or what happens next, like this is really good work and um, you should be proud. That is, Tip was going to kill me. Business partner, friend, brother, broski, woski. <laughs> Fellow Last Alpaca member or Last Pack member. He sent me that. I've been working on something for about eight months, you know, not because I wanted it to be eight months, but because making good things takes time. I've always believed in creative world. You have to kind of convince good people or rather get good people on the same page as you and they'll create the best because they know what their role is, you know. So I've always been interested in art and I think that will always continue. I'd look, I look at us as artists really like in the idea sense, you know, like a lot of times people think good ideas come from the sky or I don't know, doing shrooms. You know, in my time, I've met people who make great work on a conveyor belt, you know, 
Um, being in the agency for the little time that I was there, you get to see how people structure great ideas, thoughts. Some of the most, some of the most amazing things were decided around a boardroom table. Um, I met Teppo in that world, and you know, Google the guy. <laughs> Very impressive guy. And that's him speaking about something I've made. You know, he's my business partner and we work on things very closely. And I, you know, we can often, I'm able to see just through our, our WeTransfer, our shared WeTransfer account, what each other is doing. He's doing some amazing stuff with Caesar and Paul for Walsh right now for the Daily, no, for the Mail and Guardian. He's illustrating some of the uh, monthly articles that Caesar will write. Um, so I've seen that in the WeTransfer. So he'll see stuff I'm putting there. So the other night we finished work on something, you know, with Onke and Tate, and I put it there, and I think he woke up and he listened. I'm assuming here. I haven't asked him. And I woke up to that. And anyone will tell you, businesses, you know, being an entrepreneur is not glamorous. I wouldn't even advise you to do it. The reason I think we're still out here toiling is because... We have a good idea, you know. We weren't wrong. You know, sometimes, you know, that, that saying, the planes are laid with the bodies of pioneers. You know, you're scared. You're leaving agency. I left agency very young. I think I was like 25, 27. No, 27. I left agency. I'm 30 now, turning 31. So you leave the machine and then you, you come outside and you start to understand the harsh realities, things like certain brands can only work with big agencies. Whatever the whatever the the harsh reality is, you're a small fry in a in a very, very huge, huge, huge ocean. Um but if you have a good idea, I think stick it out. I you know, my mom always says, I think good mothers always give this kind of advice. Love mom. Um, always do a comparison with yourself every few years just to see if you you match up to the industry you're in. And, you know, I just feel like more times, it's not, not, not to be contrarian, but we're ahead and we want to be ahead of this industry, you know, and create the model that we think can bring value to different companies. Um, so... You know, with that as a background, that guy said, that's, you know, that's my co-founder and also co-creator. And he thinks something I've done is good. And when you look at what he's worked on, for him to say it's excellent is is amazing. So I creative directed the project. It's music meets art, which I think are my two favorite things. It, I just started out wanting to create the album art. And in the end part of the entire process um it's been amazing having you today on the weekly i think next week will be better as always i hope you're good out there i'm gonna leave the office now so i do this on a thursday yeah i do this on a thursday because by thursday the news cycles have sort of come and gone so you can kind of you can kind of gauge what this week was about. I mean, there's things on the local front which I'm not speaking about, which I don't really care to speak about. I think they're going to be done. What the president is up to, etc. Who stole what? 
funny story, not even funny. There was a hit today close to the gym that I go to. So at Rosebank Mall in Johannesburg, um, I go to Viva Gym, Spanish gym. They have no sauna. This is an official complaint. Love you guys. Um, and apparently there was a hit at the Tashas. Insane. 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 Listen, thank you for listening to the weekly. We're going to keep going. This will not end. We'll get better. I will get better. What we speak about will get better. And I think the only way you know how to, if if your idea is good, is if you actually just make it. I hope you're not waiting for somebody to email you and tell you how brilliant you are um, and offer you the job of your dreams. I think go out there and make the things that you think are important and the world needs to see and hear and share them. This has been The Weekly. See you next week. Tell a friend. Available where podcasts are available.